Welcome to episode 55 of the Women of the Military podcast. This is the last episode for 2019, and it's a bonus episode. Season 1 ended with episode 53, but I didn't want to have a lull. Well, I kind of wanted to have a lull, but people told me I shouldn't have a lull. Anyways, here I am giving you some bonus episodes in case you're really missing Women in the Military podcast during the winter break. So I'm just doing two quick solo episodes to keep us rolling. And so I decided last week I was going to talk about my goals for 2019 and what happened in 2019. So it was a little bit of an update of how the podcast went and what my goals were and where I got to and how much the podcast exceeded my expectations. So if you want to go listen to what my plans were for the podcast at the beginning of 2019 and where the podcast is today, you can check that out. And then I also wanted to do a quick roundup of the top five most played episodes. That way, if you missed a few episodes and you want to hear what people were most interested in hearing, or maybe it will give people some inspiration to share their episode when they're on Women of the Military podcast by doing a little roundup at the end of the year. I always found it fascinating to watch on the back end to see which podcast episodes did better than others and I always was wrong on which podcast episodes I thought were going to be the most popular ones and so I thought it'd be fun to end out 2019 by talking about which episodes were the most popular and which episodes you should go back and listen to. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Before we dive into the top five, I want to thank my sponsor, Ensure the Heroes with Melissa. She was the first sponsor to come on board to support women in the military, and I really appreciate everything she's done to support the podcast and just wanted to give her an extra shout out before her ad runs just so that you guys can know how appreciative I am of her and how thankful I am to have her support. Is your family going to be okay financially if you die? Hey there, I'm Melissa Skirr, Coast Guard spouse and experienced insurance agent. As the owner of Insure the Heroes Incorporated, an independent term life insurance brokerage, I help military families past and present, as well as the general public, put together life insurance plans that fit their needs and budget. Military spouses provide financial value to their families, even if they're not working. I encourage them to consider what their service member would do if they died. Securing the right amount of life insurance is how you can protect your home front should you pass away prematurely. SGLA is rarely enough to cover your family's long-term financial needs. Also, when you transition out of the military into the civilian world, life insurance shopping will be on your to-do list. Ideally, you want to lock in coverage well beforehand. Remember, life insurance isn't for you. It's for the ones you leave behind. So head on over to my website at insuretheheroes.com for a no-obligation quote or to book a complimentary call. If you prefer, you can dial me directly at 844-514-LIFE. Thanks, Melissa. Let's get back to the show. 
Let's get started with number five. The fifth most popular episode for women of the military is a Coast Guard story. And I was excited to talk to Carrie Carwan about her military experience. She was an officer in the Coast Guard and she shared some really heartbreaking news about her experience of trying to get pregnant and going through infertility treatments and how the military didn't support her. And she was able to work this past year with the Service Women Action Network, SWAN, to advocate on Capitol Hill to get some things changed for women by sharing her experience and her story. And her story is just one of heartache, but also it's it's heartache, but it's also good that she's working to make changes for the women who come behind her. And the choices that the military made to make it difficult for her to participate and take part in the infertility treatments ultimately meant that she didn't get pregnant and she is not a mom. And so it's really sad to hear that the story of what she went through and the way that she was treated by her leadership when she was going through something that was really important to her. And it just shows the challenges of what women are facing in the military. And as more women serve in the military and the different challenges that arise with women being in the service and how the military needs to make changes to help women so that they don't go through something similar to what Carrie had to go through. Episode number 36 with Carrie Carwan from the Coast Guard is the number five most listened to episode of season one. The next most popular episode was actually one of the earlier episodes, and not early as in like one of the first two. We'll talk about those later. One of the early episodes that kind of like took off. It was really kind of cool to see that when I posted it on social media, it got a lot of traffic and it was outpacing all the other episodes in the very beginning when it was first posted. And it is episode 12 with Susie Wilcox. She is a Marine Corps veteran and she served during the first Gulf War. And she shared her experience of serving in the Marine Corps and how she went from, she didn't take the advice of her boyfriend and she walked straight past the Air Force recruiter and went in and signed up to be in the Marine Corps. And she wasn't really prepared for what was coming, but the Marine Corps shaped her into who she was. And she talked about how lost she was and how she needed direction and how the Marine Corps gave it to her. She also deployed during the first Gulf War, leaving behind two small children, one who was old enough to remember her when she came back and had anxiety that she was going to leave again. And the second one was so young that when she came home from her deployment, he didn't even know who she was. She talked about how technology was during that deployment. She only got to talk on the phone two times and she shared just how hard it was to be a mom and to not have the support network that she needed. And that was ultimately why she left the Marine Corps. And today she is a Marine Corps spouse and mom 
and entrepreneur. And so I was just really excited to see her story just take off the way that it did on the podcast. And it ended up at the end of the year being in the top five and the number four most listened to episode for Women of the Military podcast. That was episode 12, Susie Wilcox from the Marine Corps. The third most popular episode was an episode that I didn't really want to do because it was me doing a solo episode, but one of my friends, Ben Colloy, who is the podcast host for The Military Veteran Dad, talked about how someone had encouraged him to do a solo episode, and I listened to his episode that he had done, and I figured, what the heck, (laughs) I can do it too, and so I decided to dive in with one of my most popular blogs post, which was seven things I wish I knew before I joined the military. So I modified the blog post into a podcast episode and shared more stories from my experience of serving in the Air Force and what I wish I would have known before I joined the Air Force and what I learned from being in the Air Force. And this episode took off kind of like the same way Susie's did and it was very surprising to me how many people wanted to listen to hear my experience because up until that point the only other solo episodes that I had done were the trailer and then my military story and so I didn't I felt like it was a big risk to jump out and not do an interview and to share a part of my story in a different way by sharing just me talking about what I wish I would have known. And I think part of the reason this episode was so popular is because a huge group of my audience is women who are looking to join the military. And so I think that was something that they were looking for and they wanted to know about and it was something that resonated with them, which was why I picked the topic. So I was kind of proud of myself that I picked a topic that resonated. And the next episode that I did was mourning my loss of military service. And that one was not as popular as this one, but those two episodes were were the top two episodes for the last few months of the podcast. And this one, even though it was released later on in the year, was one of the most downloaded episodes for season one, which was pretty exciting to see. So I'm going to keep doing, I've started doing, well, the end of the year kind of messed everything up, but my plan for 2020 is to share three to four interviews every month and then do one solo episode. And I'm also working and creating a Patreon account, which I mentioned in the last episode, so that if you want to support the podcast financially, I'm working to team up with resources and information that people need to know either when they're serving in the military or when they've left the military and providing additional podcast resources behind the scenes on Patreon. So if you are interested in supporting the podcast and you know that the work that Women of the Military podcast is doing is important and you want to show your support, you can start with donations as low as $1 a month. And that way we can continue to do the work that we're doing and we can reach more people with the podcast. And so 
If you like these solo episodes or if you're looking for more stories or more experiences or more resources, then you should definitely check out Patreon and Women of the Military. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes so that you can check it out. So episode 42 was the third most popular episode listened to for season one. And it is seven things I wish I would have known before joining the military. The second most downloaded episode of season one was episode three, which is the story of my friend Cynthia Klein. Cynthia and I met, she sent me an email while she was deployed to Honduras and she told me about how she had found my blog and how much it meant to her and how much she needed it at the time she was going through her deployment. And we began emailing back and forth and she was actually starting her own blog, A Faithful Step, at the same time that she was reading my blog. And she and I became friends over the internet and she was one of the first people to sign up, obviously, because she was episode number three. She was the first person to sign up to be on the podcast, and she is also in the Women of the Military book, which you can find on Amazon, and she shared her experience of what it's like to be an officer in the military, married to someone in the military, and she also is a mom. She was a mom of one when she deployed, and now she's a mom of two. And so she and I were able to talk about what it was like to be deployed and leave behind a one-year-old. She was on her way home from her deployment when we did the interview, and so everything was really fresh in her mind of what the challenges were, but then also the benefits of not having a kid around so she was able to spend more time on herself. But that also meant that she wasn't with her daughter for that six-month window of time. And so she talked about the good, the bad, the in-between, and just what her experience was like. And she just opened up and shared in a way that I think people really connected with because a lot of times we kind of hear about people who've served in the military and have deployed overseas and they leave their families behind. And we hear a lot about dads having to do it, but we don't hear about moms doing it. And just, we don't really talk about what that challenge is like. And so it's really cool to see how popular this episode was and how many people resonated with her story and listened to her story. And so I'm really excited to say that episode number three with Cynthia Klein sharing her experience of being a mom who deployed the second most downloaded. And Cynthia's in the Air Force because I didn't mention that. And I guess we could do a drum roll, but I don't have the sound effect and I don't know if I want to pay for it. Anyways, the most downloaded episode from season one is my story. I think partly this is because it's the second episode of the podcast and technically the trailer is the most listened to episode, but I didn't feel like it counted because it's like 15 minutes long and it's pretty short. So uh, I didn't add it in to the calculations, but my story episode two of the podcast is what my experience of being an Air Force civil engineer is like. And I wasn't sure if it was the right way to start the podcast, but now seeing that it's the most popular 
episode from season one. I'm glad that I did because it allows everyone who listens to the podcast to get a little bit of my story from the get-go and they can hear about what my experience was like serving in the military, deploying with the army to Afghanistan, and what it was like to be an engineer and then why I left the military. So, If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode number two, I'm going to add it to the end of this episode so that you can hear my story and know a little bit more about me because I know some people have jumped in on the halfway point and I don't want anyone to miss out on hearing that episode. And so I'm going to include that at the end of this episode. And I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast and for everyone who has been a guest on the podcast and everyone who has recorded for season two already. I'm really excited about what has happened this past year and what is to come in 2020. I am just blown away by how many women have come forward to share their stories and I just am so happy that I get to to share our stories so that we can reach more people and share more experiences of what it's like to be women in the military. So thanks for listening to this quick little wrap up for the end of 2019. And I can't wait to see you guys all next week in 2020 for the first episode of season two. This is episode two of Women of the Military. I'm sharing my military experience. I wanted to let people know a little about me and my military experience. I'm your host, Amanda Huffman, and I am a military veteran, a military spouse, and a mom, and the host of the Women of the Military podcast. You'll often hear bits and pieces throughout the other recordings about my story, but this recording will be the answer to most of the questions I ask my guests And if I missed anything, or if you want to know more about my experience, be sure to let me know and I can answer your questions in future podcast episodes or blog posts. I'm Amanda. I'm a military spouse and veteran who served in the Air Force for six years as a civil engineer, including a deployment to Afghanistan. I traded in my combat boots for a diaper bag to stay at home with my first son, and I now have two little boys, and my husband is still currently serving in the Air Force, which has a station in Northern Virginia. I created a blog when I left the Air Force called Airman to Mom, which incorporates stories from my past military life and how I view life through my unique life experiences as both a veteran and military spouse. Women of the Military podcast was started after my 31-day deployment series and how I wanted to share the stories of women who served in the military. So the first question is, why did you decide to join the military? When I decided to join the military, I was kind of in a weird place. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was currently running cross country and track and I had been an athlete and I was going to college, but I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was majoring in math and felt like the only thing I could do at the end of that would be to teach or to become an accountant, which both of those I wasn't really that excited about. And then a few of my friends started talking about either enlisting in the military or joining the National Guard or becoming an officer. And for some reason, I remembered my parents telling me my senior year of high school that I should join the military. And I was like, that's never going to happen. And I guess 
that question stuck with me because I thought about that. And so I started looking into the military too, because it seemed like a good idea. I felt like it would help me with my sense of feeling a little bit lost and like I didn't know where I was going. And so I knew someone who worked at the Air National Guard. He was a chief. And I came to the guard unit in my hometown and met with him and met with the recruiter and started to do the process of joining the guard. Um, I took the ASVAB. I got pretty high scores, so I could do pretty much any job that I wanted. But I was trying to focus on the jobs that gave you bonuses, but none of the jobs that were there were really jobs that I should be doing or would have found purpose in. And so I don't even remember what job I picked, but in that time, I went to lunch with a friend who was doing the Reserve Officer Training Corps, which is ROTC. And he told me that when he became an officer, I would have to salute him because I'd be enlisted. And I was kind of confused because I have no military background. I didn't even know the difference between officer and enlisted or what that meant. And so I asked him a few more questions and there just happened to be an open house because it was the spring of my freshman year of college. And I decided to go to the open house. My parents went with me to the open house and I just really fell in love with the program and I felt like I found that purpose that I was looking for. And one of the cadets that I randomly talked to happened to be an electrical engineer and he told me if I really liked math, I should look at nearing. And he was like, you probably shouldn't do electrical. It's really hard and I don't really like it. And suggested I do civil instead. And I ended up doing that. Not a lot of thought went into it. And so I planned on my, in the fall semester of my sophomore year of college to do ROTC. And because I was at the community college and not the four-year university, I was able to do ROTC without any commitment. And I could continue going to school at the community college. And then I would just come over to the four-year university one day a week to take beginning intro class to ROTC and then a course called Leadership Lab. And then I did PT twice a week, which is physical training or working out, and then do all my other classes at the community college. And so it seemed like the perfect fit to continue to go to college and to try out the military without really having to commit to the military. But I loved it and ended up finishing my year left at the community college and by the time I moved to the four-year university, I was on contract, which meant I got a scholarship. So I got my schooling paid for and I got a small stipend. And I really loved ROTC. And I actually really enjoyed civil engineering. So I never changed out of that career field. So while I was in the Air Force, I was a civil engineer. Air Force civil engineers managed the base from uh, everything as much as plunging the toilets to building the flight line. So the way the Air Force civil engineering squadron is made up is there's a bunch of smaller flights, which are like there's the environmental flight and there's the engineering flight and the resources flight 
and the fire department and op and readiness. And there's probably something I'm forgetting, but that's what I can remember off the top of my head. And ops is the ones who go out and maintain the flight line and maintain the base and do all the little projects here and there to keep the base operational. And I worked in the environmental office, which did the like hazmat and the spill containment and that sort of thing my first year. And then my second year, I worked in the engineering office, which was doing all the prep work because I was at Holloman Air Force Base and they were retiring the F-117 and they were bringing in the F-22. And so I was in the SABRE office, which is an acronym, but I have no idea what it stands for. But they do quick turn projects. So it's like smaller projects that are under a certain cap of money. And it's like pretty quick issues. And because we had so much going on on the base, we were really busy and we're out on the flight line, watching all the different projects take place. And one of the times I got to go out with one of the airmen, they're called engineering assistants, and we got to go stand at the end of the flight line and the the German Toronados were at Holloman then, and they were landing on the flight line and we were down at the end working on some sort of runway repair. And that was one of the coolest memories from being out at Holloman Air Force Base. But we went out every day and went and inspected the projects we were working on and I worked on the reports mostly in the afternoon and started getting ready for new projects. So those were my two main jobs at Holloman and then occasionally I would get to go out to the ops area which had more enlisted people doing all these small projects and occasionally I got the opportunity to go out with them and see what they were doing and learn a bit about what they do just so that I would know in the future if I continued to stay in the Air Force all about the different aspects of the Air Force Civil Engineering Squadron. About two or so years into being in the Air Force, I got tasked to go to Afghanistan as part of a provincial reconstruction team, a PRT which is a joint mission between the Army and Air Force, where we work directly with the people of Afghanistan to help them rebuild or reconstruct or make out of nothing. So we were working on schools, roads, bridges, and other various small construction projects like wells, retaining walls, etc., whatever the people needed. And as a civil engineer, me and the other civil engineer I deployed with kind of played a key role in helping to rebuild because we were the engineers who went out on site visits. So we planned a lot of the missions that we went on and we usually dictated where we went and what we were doing. And then there'd be other smaller missions. Maybe they weren't smaller, but they felt smaller because I wasn't really focused on them that other people on the team would play. But every time that the PRT went off base or outside the wire to go and do something, there usually was a civil engineer there. The civil engineer that I deployed with, we would usually switch off on which missions we went on. So that way one person would be back at the base doing all the paperwork and then the other person would be out on the missions. So when I returned home from Afghanistan, um, I was able to make a permanent change of station to where my husband had moved while I was deployed. And I worked at the Air Force Material Command doing energy management, which the president had issued a requirement for all federal agencies to cut their energy consumption by 30% by 
I think 2020. And so we were working on the, like the behind the scenes to try and help people cut their energy and start projects to help replace and make things more efficient. So that was what we did at Command. It was a lot of sitting behind the desk and not out in the field. So it wasn't as exciting as my previous jobs. So when I was deployed, I faced a lot of challenges. I was part of the army for those like 12 months, essentially. There was three or four months of training and nine month deployment. And so I went from being in the Air Force to learning being integrated into the army and their culture. And it was kind of a culture shock to go from what I expected in the Air Force to being in the Army. But overall, I learned a lot and it was a good experience. And my job when I was deployed was to help to rebuild. It's not really rebuild, but that's what they say. Rebuild the country. But there's mud huts and dirt roads and we were putting in concrete buildings and asphalt. So we weren't rebuilding it. We were just building it or enhancing what was already there. But the province that I was assigned was Capisa, and it's a small province. It's about the size of Rhode Island, and it's close to, it's east of Bagram and north of Kabul, if you know anything about Afghanistan. So we worked on building schools, government structures, roads, bridges, and other small construction projects. Uh, We would go on convoys to inspect the projects, and we met with local leaders to help plan for future projects. We were out on the community at least weekly, usually more, um, and we had lots of interactions with the local people. And most of the missions that we went on happened without incidents. Where we were in Afghanistan was uh, pretty safe. There was Tajik people in the north and Pashtun in the south, and we were in the northern part of Kapisa, but we couldn't get to, even though it was only the size of Rhode Island, for safety concerns, we couldn't drive straight down to the southern section, so we would have to go around and go from Bagram and then down to Kabul and then up through the bottom, just because it was safer for our team to do that. And then there weren't any roads to get to the northern part because there were lots of mountains and crazy terrain, and just the way that the country was, there wasn't a highway or a road to get from where we were at Fab Morales Frazier to the top three northern cities. So what we would do is drive to Bagram and then we would go on the road and go up over the top into that area. So for the top part, it wasn't safety concerns. It was just not being able to drive there from where we were. And so we would go to Bagram a lot. And so we would leave and go to Bagram, spend the night at Bagram, go out and do missions the next day or go to the base for the day and do some paperwork stuff. And then the next day do missions and then go back to our fog. And then when we would go to the southern part, it would be like a week long trip because it was a lot farther to get to and a little bit more complicated because of safety concerns and the different work that we were doing. But we had engineering projects in all the different cities. I don't know what they were called sub-provinces, but, oh, the district. We had all projects in all the districts within Kapisa, Um, and so 
we tried to go and see all of them. One time when I was out on a mission, we actually did get shot at by a few RPGs, which are rocket propelled grenades and small arms fire, which is like AK-47s. But we were really lucky because it was our first stop of the... Usually when we go on missions, we would go up and then we'd come back down and hit the school at the very end. But I don't know why, but for some reason we had decided to go to the school first and then go up probably just for security reasons to change up our plan. And so we did that and I don't think they were ready for us because they started shooting at us when they didn't really have the best advantage. So we were able to run right back into our uh, up armored vehicles, which were MRAPs, and we were able to just drive back to the base and nobody was hurt. So thinking about that situation, I think that it could have gone a lot worse and that we could have had casualties. And so I'm thankful that no one was hurt and that we were able to get out of the school. One of my favorite memories from being deployed was when I got to fly on a helicopter from Fabirat Morales-Frazier to Bagram during the day. Most of the time, the helicopter flights were at night just for safety reasons. I was trying to get from from Fab Morales-Frazier to Bagram so I could go on my R&R rest and relaxation to get some time away from being in the combat zone and the flights kept getting canceled and the convoy we were supposed to go on got moved back and so it looked like we weren't going to be able to get off the fob and to Bagram in time to make it on the airplane that we were supposed to take but then at the last minute we found out that a general was flying into the fob and that if we wanted to we could just hitch a ride back to Bagram so me and another guy We're at the helicopter pad waiting for the helicopter to arrive. It showed up and we asked if they were going to Bagram and we jumped on and flew back. And it was just really cool to see all the projects that we had been working on and the roads and all the things that I had seen from driving, but from the sky. So it was really a neat experience and something that I won't ever forget. So there's a lot more to my deployment and I could talk about it for probably forever. Depending on my mood, sometimes I can answer lots of questions about my deployment and other times I can't. And today I guess I am in the mood to talk about it. So if you're curious to learn more about my deployment experience, you can always go to my blog. Um, I'll put a few links to my stories in the show notes so that you can find them easily. And if you have any questions about my deployment, feel free to reach out um, via email at airmantomom at gmail.com and I will get back to you and probably write about it if you have questions about it. So, but even though I can talk about my deployment and I overall look back of it, look back at it as a a good experience and I'm glad that I went on the deployment. It was kind of a big turning point in why I decided that I didn't want to stay in the military. There were other factors too, but the deployment kind of got me to start thinking about, do I really want to stay in the Air Force for 20 years, especially since my husband's in the Air Force? And us getting stationed together will be difficult, and then deploying and having kids will make it even harder than it is right now. My husband moved from one base to another base while I was deployed, 
And so I came back to about like a suitcase full of things that he left behind for me. And he had all the rest of the stuff in Ohio. And luckily we didn't have kids or else my kids would be in Ohio too. And that would have been really hard. Overall, it was a good experience, but it also was um, one of the driving factors of why I left the military. And one of the hardest parts of being married to someone in the military was managing both of our careers and working to get assigned at the same place. My husband commissioned a year before I did, and we were able to work with the assignment team to get stationed together for our first assignment. And then when I was deployed, he moved to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, doing the Air Force Institute of Technology uh, master's program. And my commander that was at home station while I was deployed, was also married to someone in the military, and he was able to work behind the scenes to get me a job at Wright-Pat. But originally, I had planned on getting out of the Air Force when I got back to the States because I didn't think I could get stationed where my husband was at, and I just figured it'd be easier to get out. I only had six more months of time and service before I could get out. And so that seemed like the best option. But since he was able to pull some strings and get me a job in Ohio, I decided to do that and it worked out. The deployment challenge added with a constant change of get, challenge of getting stationed together made it so it was the easy but hard choice to leave the military. And when <clears throat> I got pregnant with my son, I decided to put in my paperwork to get out of the military, and I officially left the military when my son was about four months old. And I thought it would be really easy to leave the military and stay at home and be a military spouse, but it ended up being a lot harder than I expected, and that was part of why I started writing a blog. And I'm going to share my transition story in a later episode, so I'm not going to talk a little bit more about that right now. And I just want to answer one of the questions that I like to ask all my guests is, what would you tell girls considering joining the military? And so I'm going to go back to advice that my commander gave me before I left for my deployment. He said, when you come to a great chasm in life, jump. It isn't that far. My deployment forced me to jump into situations I would have never done if it hadn't been my job and what was required of me. And what I learned from those experiences is that his words are true. It can be, it can feel really big and scary to join the military because there's lots of unknowns and you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. But if you have that drive and that if you want to do it, you can do it, and you will learn that when you jump, it really isn't that far. In the end, you'll learn that you can accomplish way more than you ever expected. I can't imagine my life without the military, and I'm really grateful for the six years that I got to serve in the military. And I think that everyone who has that drive or just curiosity to serve in the military should do it. You don't have to serve for 20 years. You can serve four, you can serve six, you can serve for whatever um, works for you and your family. And in the end, I think you will learn 
so much about yourself and you'll learn lifelong skills that'll stay with you forever. So that's what I would tell people who are considering joining the military. Um, I would tell that to guys and girls, but girls especially, because that's just where my passion lies. Thank you for listening to a little bit of my experience of what it's like to be in the military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the stories that are coming up with women who have served in our military. And a review would really help us out. It will show our podcast to more viewers so that they can hear the stories of women who have served in our military. And finally, if you are a woman who is either serving in the military or has served in the military, please email me at airmentomom at gmail.com and I'll set you up so you can either be on a future episode of the podcast or if you would like to be anonymous and do it via written form, that is also an option. I know that privacy is important and so if you would like to do that, you have that option as well. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions about my military experience, please feel free to email me and let me know. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmentomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.